You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Thank you, Carson. Hey, as those uh, buckets are being passed, I just want to honor someone this morning uh, that we really love and value. And uh, that's our very own Sam, who just got back from Mercy Ships in Africa. We were just talking today just how cool it is, like what God has done through you and through your obedience and through your willingness to, to step out in faith and to, to really, really walk that journey. And it's just so cool. And so, But it's exciting. We're glad you're back. So we're so excited. I love following all the pictures and all the things you did. But now I'm happy you're here because we missed you. But um, really, really cool. I love that we have these, like, nurses that are traveling the world healing people <laughs> and uh, meeting people. It's awesome. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? It's good. If you stick around long enough at this church, you'll realize that we're a church about missions, and uh, we really, we really value missions. Um, it's in, it's interesting. This week, as <clears throat> as I was preparing for this message, <clears throat> I kind of felt like, um, has anyone ever seen Indiana Jones? Right? You seen Indiana Jones movies? And there's this moment when they're in the tomb, and it's short round, and Indy, and the gal that screams a lot. And they're all like in the same too. And they're there and they're like, don't touch anything. That's how I felt like this week went. I feel like this week is me just like holding things up randomly, like around in situations and just looking at my wife like, what is happening? And just like looking at people like, just people like, do you think I should? No, man, just wait, don't move, don't touch anything. I just feel like that's kind of been this week of just kind of so many things happening. Does anyone feel like you'd be willing to say, I really didn't expect this week to end this way based on how it started, right? Like things this week did not go according to plan, right? This like my plan, my life, it just doesn't look like it. And I say that kind of in jest because it's the beginning of the sermon and it's not as serious, but there is this kind of serious mode where I've like, I felt like when Katie and I were talking about this, I was in the car and I was like, it's like two people are fighting. It's like the enemy and then someone else. And I'm just like trying to stand between two junior hires to keep them from like beating each other up. Like, just, just wait, just wait, just wait, just, just wait, just wait. And that was, kind of, that was kind of my week. Um, but I think that's a lot of our, our weeks and our months and our lives. And I've been trying to encourage people this week to wait on the Lord, to just wait. I I know it's not going according to plan. I know just wait on the Lord. And scripture says, wait on the Lord and he'll renew your strength. And we like this phrase, it's worth the wait. And I try to tell people, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth the wait, right? Waiting on the Lord is always worth the wait. But we've been looking at Joseph, and I think in in this week of like, just don't touch anything. It's just chaos. I feel like someone, we're just in like, like in um, entrapment where there's just lasers everywhere. Like, no one move. Don't break any barriers. Just stay still. And I know that it's going to be worth the wait. And we say it's going to be worth the wait, and and we're going to go through this. And I know it's going to be worth the wait. But we have to find worth in the waiting. Because I know that waiting on the Lord is good, but I got to find some worth in the waiting. Because where I'm at right now is not fulfilling enough to be okay for me. So I got to find some worth in the waiting. But how do we hold on? How do we find worth when things are not going according to plan? If you this morning think things in my life are not going according to plan, trust me, you are in the majority, not the minority. 
And so we've been looking at Joseph as a church together, and we see the life of Joseph, and nothing in Joseph's life went according to plan. Right, he dreams a big dream. He's hated by his family. He's thrown in a pit to die. He's taken out of the pit and put into slavery. Then he's taken to Egypt to work as a slave. He works for three years as a slave. He's accused of sexual assault, right, of, with Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into prison for five years. I'm going to read you scripture this morning. He's been in prison five years before he gets here, and he's going to be in prison for four more years after this. I, I almost guarantee you that no one's plan includes a decade of prison and 13 years of slavery, right? No one here is coming saying, yeah, you know, Pastor, I, I got a dream in my life. I'm going to tell you it starts like this, 10 years of prison. I feel like that's, that's crazy. But for many of us, I think things are not going according to plan, right? You didn't plan on being sick this long. You didn't plan on this relationship to go this way. You didn't plan for this loss in your life. You didn't plan for this situation. You didn't plan for this. But this is how it's going. And so we look at Joseph's life because the encouragement that I want you to hear this morning and that I'm believing this morning, what I'm praying that you would receive this morning is when we're talking about Joseph, it's not about Joseph and what Joseph is going through, but it's about what God does through Joseph. And I want to encourage you this morning that there is worth to be found in the waiting. And then as we look at Joseph together, the life of Joseph gives us hope because even though the world and the enemy tried to destroy his dream, they tried to destroy his purpose, he's, a, he's been in slavery, he's been in prison, he's been abandoned by his family, he's been denied, deceived, destroyed, all these things, God still does something in his life. Because if God speaks a promise, he will be faithful to fulfill it. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you that we get the opportunity of drawing here and drawing near in your presence. God, I thank you that it's your word, the scripture that transforms. It's your spirit, the Holy Spirit that transforms. So God, I pray that you would use this, this moment to transform lives. God, right now, I just speak in this moment to the scales that are living over our heart and our eyes that are keeping us from seeing keeping us from having spiritual vision to see what you've called us to in the future, but are, have left us maybe spiritually kind of in a darkness. God, I pray that there would be a release in this moment, that we'd be able to unlock your scripture and see, God, what goodness you have in there. And I pray that you would change hearts and transform lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Can we get up for the worship band this morning? Amen. Hey, I just wanted to say, I, as before we read Genesis and Genesis 39, is I just, I just want to thank uh, Pastor Carson for sharing last week, honestly. Um, Carson has become like one of my really dear friends. Love him and Stacey Kay and the ministry that they do for all the kids. So can we just thank Carson if that ministered to you last week? But I'm going to read something this morning, kind of going with this theme about how, how, what do we do when things do not go according to plan? And I'm thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit because uh, uh, this theme was already picked out before, I, before we all lived this week. So if you're like, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to tell me what to do. Well, then let me tell you, I, I, we picked this series when I started the job here. 
So when I got the job here, we picked this series. And I felt like the Lord was leading us to talk on Joseph. And so whatever that was, eight months ago now, this message has been prepared. So if your week has encountered this, this need and this meaning, it's not because I just did it to tailor-made. If you feel like I, went, I had counseling with Josh this week, and so now he's just preaching to me but to everyone. No, it's not true. I literally, we picked this. We felt like, I felt like the Lord was leading us to, to do this series eight months ago. So I believe that God has been preparing and ready to speak into your life in an opportune moment. And you have a choice this morning. Will you allow him to speak or will you reject it? My, my belief and my encouragement is that the Holy Spirit's going to be alive and active in your life and encourage and empower you to receive what he has this morning. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. So let's read. I'm going to backtrack just barely and cover just a small portion um, that Carson so wonderfully covered last week. But it says Genesis 39, 20 through 23. And this is kind of just to catch us up. It says, and Joseph's master, that's Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison. So this is after he's been accused. He denies Potiphar's wife. She does not like that. She accuses him of what she wanted him to do anyways, and he gets thrown into prison. It says, it takes him in places where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper and all the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one that did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. So follow me here. Joseph is taken from, remember, he's a slave. And he rises the ranks. Then he's like the, the best slave, right? He's like top-tier slave. But he's like in Potiphar's house. He's working. He, uh, he, he's doing well. He has power. He has authority. And he's thrown into prison. And he's not just thrown into any prison. Like when it says Potiphar's house, Potiphar did not have like a mid-century split level. Potiphar had, you know, like a palace, a fort. He was captain of the guard. So picture in a, we in a more Western context for us, Potiphar had like a castle. Joseph was in the dungeon. But Joseph was in the dungeon with the king's prisoners. That means the people the king really wanted to make sure were punished, right? If you're the king, if you're the king of Egypt, if you're a pharaoh, and you really super don't like somebody, you're not going to put him in, like, like, easy prison. You're going to put him in, like, I'm going to make sure. And in fact, because Potiphar was captain of the guard, it's likely, uh, you know, it's, they always debate these kind of things, but it's likely he would have been in charge of executions. So in many ways, Potiphar's prison was death row. So he's put into death row. Basically, these people are enemies of the state that will either be pardoned or killed. Is everyone with me? So Joseph goes from a pit to a palace to a pit again. So he had this moment of like, I'm making the best out of my situation pit, Right? So he's in, in the depths, and yet Joseph is in charge. And I find this fascinating that it says the person in charge of the prison didn't pay attention to anything because Joseph was in charge. Has, have you ever heard of that? Who, who can do that but God? Take a slave prisoner and make them in charge of the whole prison, right? Just think about a prison in the world where prisoners run the prison, Slave prisoners run the prison. If you were a slave and a prisoner and you ran a prison, what would the first move you do? 
unlock the doors and get out. Yeah, right? Like, I'm no longer a slave, right? You know, but he's, he's in charge of this prison. It's funny, I started looking up, like, are there any prisons that are run like this? And I found one prison in Bolivia. There's like a documentary, and I get like obsessed on things. So I just like dove into this. And so I was like reading about this prison, it's San Pedro prison in Bolivia. And, and here's the statement about it. It sounds like a great place. We, we could go, we'll do a trip there or something. It says, San Pedro prison in the, is the largest prison in La Paz, Bolivia, renowned for being a society within itself, significantly different from most correctional facilities. Inmates in San Pedro have jobs inside the community, buy or rent their accommodations, and often live with their families. That sounds nice. The sale of cocaine to visiting tourists gives those inside a significant income and an unusual amount of freedom within the prison walls, while elected leaders enforce the laws of the community, commonly through stabbing. <laughs> that got significantly darker, each sentence, right? Why? Because prisoners don't run prisons, right? Prisoners don't run prisons, and yet here is Joseph, who's in prison for five years before we encounter him. So 39, chapter 39 ends. Joseph is in prison for five years, and in those five years, ends up running the joint. Why? Because what Carson talked about, and I think it's so important, because faithfulness and favor are really linked. And that God had a vision and a plan and a dream for Joseph and was working through Joseph. So even though the world put him in a pit again, God still elevated him in the pit to the point that is, Basically, fundamentally, naturally not possible. But that's why we serve a good God. Because what's not naturally possible is supernaturally possible through the Lord. Amen? And so we get now to Genesis 40. So Joseph has now been away from home for you know, anywhere past a decade. Right about there. So he's been away from home. He's about 27-ish. Again, these dates are kind of fuzzy. But he's been away from home. He's in prison, been in prison for five years, kind of running the joint. And that's a long time to be in prison. There's no end in sight. He's he's not sure what's going on. But here we are in chapter 40. It says this, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. So the cupbearer, the person who would test the wine, bring the wine to the pharaoh, test it to make sure nobody's poisoning him, and the baker, the person who would make the food and bring it to him, committed some kind of offense. And we don't know what that is. Could have been sand in the bread. Could have been an assassination attempt. We don't, we don't really know. But regardless, it says, And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them because that's what he's doing for everything. He's literally not working. And it says, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Follow me, verse 5. It says, and one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in prison. Each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to them, or said to him, and hear this, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, this is a small sentence, but it's huge meaning that we'll unpack. Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. 
scripture, we got basically two dreams that are being interpreted, right? And, uh, and we'd say, like, okay, great. You know, he's, he's interpreting dreams, still in prison, still functioning in prison. And, and yet, in this moment, something powerful is happening because in Joseph's mind, nothing is going according to plan because he still remembers the grain bowing and all those kind of things. He remembers that dream, but and he's been faithful, and yet nothing is going according to plan. And yet we have this moment in 40, verse 8, where the cupbearer and the baker, uh, you know, share, and they say, we have dreams, and there's no one to interpret. And Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. This is where context is important. Because Joseph was being more than just like a helpful guy by asking for interpretations. Because in the ancient Near East, dreams and interpretations were taken very seriously. And I talked about this at the beginning of the series is that dreams and visions, they were taken with, with utmost importance. And they had a lot of impact on religious life, on personal life, on cultural life, and all these things. If you dreamed a dream, you had to decide if it was important. In Mesopotamia, in Egypt, symbolic dreams were considered literally to be a message from God, right? This is their context. All the way back to Samaria in like 27,000 B.C. or whatever it is, all the way back to Sumerian culture, sorry, 2700 B.C., uh, they would write down symbolic dreams because they had significance to politics, to life, and, and all these elements. So what Joseph is encountering is something that was culturally significant because every culture at that time would have had someone whose job it was to interpret dreams. They would have had like a, a priestess or a shaman or, a, you know, some kind of thing that was some person that was a professional dream interpreter. And when you, had, when you got a dream, there was significant, like significant like this. You and your buddy both dream similar dreams on the same night when you're in the same prison. Like significant like that. When you dream something significant or what you think might be significant, you would have to go to the dream interpreter. They would then tell you, A, if it had significance. You have to know if it had significance. And then B, you would somehow have to decode that significance. So you would either have to sacrifice 10 goats or go lay on an altar or, you know, go do it. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they would make them go do to decide if it had significance and if it had confirmation. And so what's happening here and in this moment is that the cupbearer and the baker are in prison. They have a dream that they believe is significant for their life, but they are distraught. So they didn't just have a nightmare, right? They, they had a dream and they're distraught. Because culturally, they need direction. They need wisdom. They need guidance. And more importantly, they are powerless and they are seeking the powerful. Are you with me this morning? So to them, this is a crucial, crucial moment. And what Joseph does is he doesn't just offer a helping hand like, oh, that is a very interesting dream. Thank you. He establishes both the authority of God and his identity as a dreamer. He is establishing something in verse 8, and he's establishing something important because Joseph was in prison, right? Joseph was a prisoner. That's a title. Joseph was a slave. That's a title. Joseph was an enemy of the state, so to speak. That's a title. And yet now in this moment, he was stepping in to a position into a position of authority of dream interpreter. 
Are you with me? So he was stepping out. His context said prisoner, slave, trapped. But he was stepping into a position of authority as a dream interpreter. And he was establishing God as the authority. He was sharing the God he knew. And this is what's so important when we see Joseph, is I believe that what it's showing us in this moment is that God has given you an identity that is bigger than your issues. Follow me here. If you did not hear, God has given you, God gave you an identity that is bigger than your issues, than just a collection of your situation. And so often, we, I think we allow ourselves to do this, like, I'm just a fill-in-the-blank person. I'm just a mess. You know, I hear people say even simple things. I'm just a klutz. I'm just, um, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a screw-up, or, ah, you know, I just can't get it together. Uh, you know, I'm not this, or I am this, right? You know, we begin to assign all these things about ourselves, right? Uh, we begin to assign all these identities to ourselves, all these things based off our situation, based off our context, based off of what's surrounding us. And see, Joseph was a prisoner, and I don't think any of us would have blamed him for a little bit of a pity party, for some anger, for some frustration, right? And anger is fine, but it's not sustainable, right? He, we wouldn't have blamed him to, to be like, ah, I can't believe it, right? But that you can't live off that. And so what he had to choose in this moment is, do I see myself as a prisoner? Do I see myself as trapped? Do I see myself as a slave? Or do I see myself as God has called me? Because when he encounters the cupbearer and the baker, he could have been like, oh, you guys have a dream? Yeah, I had a dream. Good luck with your dream. This is where dreams take you. You ever met somebody like this or been this person where someone encounters, someone's like sharing a dream and you've been so beaten down by the world that you're like, oh, I remember dreams. You know, you know like, remember what that was like in the dream before bills, you know? It's like, we're beaten down. Ah, this is where it's gotten me. And, and we honestly, we probably wouldn't have blamed him. I've never been in prison for 10 years, but I imagine that if I had a little bit of pity party for being falsely accused of being in prison for 10 years, I think people would be like, yeah, I can understand why you're upset because that wasn't your fault, but somehow you still have to suffer. And yet, what does he say? He says, God, I know that I'm more than a sum of my issues. I'm more than a sum of the things that have been done to me. I'm more than the sum of my prison. I'm more. My identity is more than what's been done to me, what's been falsely accused to me. I'm more than that. And so I reject what the enemy is trying to put on me, and I accept who God says that I am. I love John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, this is Jesus speaking, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The enemy has come to steal your identity, to kill your hope, and destroy your future. He's not playing around. And if you didn't realize this week, he's not joking. He's not messing around. He's not buying time. There's no base neutral for the enemy. He hates you, and he wants to destroy you. So welcome to the game, because this is what it is. And so what Jesus says is the enemy came to destroy you, but I came that you would have life and have it to the fullest. I came that you would have life. I came that you would know who you are. And some of you, the week is really dumped on you, so I'm going to remind you who you are. Here's who you are. You are his child, John 1.12, but to all who received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. You're his child. You're a conduit of Christ's life, John 15.1. 
You're a friend of Jesus, John 15, 15. You're justified and redeemed, Romans 3.24. You're no longer a slave to sin, Romans 6.6. You say, yeah, but I'm in my context. I'm in my prison. This is who I am. I'm a prisoner. I've always been a prisoner. And this is how everyone's always going to see me. No. You are not condemned, Romans 8.1. You are free, Romans 8.2. You are not only a child of God, but a fellow heir with Christ. You are a fellow heir with Jesus Christ, Romans 8.17. You have been accepted by God, Romans 15.7. The world rejected you. God says, that's not your identity. You've been accepted. Hear this. Some of you that feel like broken sinners who never, you have been called a saint, 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 1. You have been given wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption through Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Are you getting it yet? Are you getting it yet that God says you're more than the sum of your issues? Your God-given identity is more than the sum of your issues. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. You are joined with the Lord, 1 Corinthians 6.17. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are chosen, holy, and blameless before God, Ephesians 1.4. You are forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. You are forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. You are God's workmanship created to produce good works, Ephesians 2.10. You have confident access to God, meaning you could go before him confidently, before his throne, Ephesians 3.12. You're a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20. There's only two more, so make sure you're with me. If you're not getting it yet, you're still getting it, that you are made complete in Christ, Colossians 3.2.10. And you are beloved and loved by God, Colossians 3.12. Your God-given identity is bigger than the sum of your issues. Your worldly identity is rooted in your context. Your God-given identity is rooted in the scripture. And your context will never overcome scripture. No matter how hard it tries, scripture will always stand. And it will always tell you that he loves you and that he cares for you. And that all the junk you're facing is not greater than his identity. It's not greater the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Picture this moment of decision. I mean, really picture it if you've, had, if you've had a week like this. Joseph comes and he encounters the baker. The baker says, man, I just wish someone could interpret this dream. I wish somebody knew something about dreams. I wish somebody knew who I could go to because I'm in a pit and I'm lost. And just can you just picture Joseph in the valley of decision right here? This is a moment. This is a moment. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing, doing all right right now, and, and I feel like things are going well. But I don't know if I can step into this. I don't know if I can step up into this. But then it's just like wells up inside of him, like a fire shut up in his bones. And he's got to be like, no, you know what? God has called me to this. My identity is greater than my issues. So you know what? It's God who interprets. Tell me your dreams, and let's get to work. Let's do some ministry in the pit. Let's do some ministry in the prison. Let's do some ministry in the depths. Let's do some ministry in where it was supposed to destroy me. And everything that the enemy meant for evil, he can put me in the deepest pit, and yet I'm still doing the work of God because my identity is greater than the collection of my issues. Are you getting it this morning? Are you with me? Amen? Amen. And God uses him. In a prison that is meant, supposed to destroy people, God uses him for powerful ministry, supernatural ministry. We always think, God, take me out of my situation, get me through my situation, and then I'll see the supernatural. What if God is wanting to do a supernatural work in your life amidst your situation? That's the God I know. 
kind of works like that. It's bananas. <laughs> Genesis 49, 40, verse 9. Let's continue together. It says, so they tell him, it says, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me, get this, verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. Let's keep going. Verse 16, we'll just get it all. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw this, he was pumped. He saw the interpretation was favorable, and he asked Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said this, which is not as awesome. He said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are the three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Probably regrets asking. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the servants. So here's it, the prophetic dream. Here's it coming through. He lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, and Joseph had interpreted to them. There's just sermon after sermon in that alone, but we can't. Um, it says this, verse 23, and follow me. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So there's two things in here that are happening. One of them is that God is moving in powerful ways. And that what's happening is we're seeing Joseph functioning in an authority. We're seeing a Joseph function in interpreting dreams supernaturally, right? By the power of God, what he's doing is he's seeking the Lord and he's interpreting, right, with the wisdom of God. And, and what, I, what I believe is even in this moment and what we see in the life of Joseph is that the God that is in you is greater than the pit that you're in. See, Joseph didn't, didn't have all, all this good stuff here at the end, but, but he knew the Lord, right? And he knew that God was with him. But I'm going to tell you something even more special for you. Did you know that God is in you? That when you give your life to the Lord, that it says that Christ is indwelt within you. I have tattooed on my Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it's Christ that lives through me, lives inside of me. Christ lives, dwells in you, with you. That other night we were talking um, uh, Vision Night. In fact, if you want to hear stuff from Vision Night, go online. It's on, our, it's on our website. There's a Vision Night tab under About Us. You can hear the sermon, uh, read the goals and stuff. We were talking about that God is everywhere. And not only is God everywhere, but God's everywhere with me. And that God is not only everywhere, but he's with me, in me. We are together. And then also he manifests in special and powerful ways, like dream interpretation, right? I mean, this is something powerful. But what it means is that if God is with me, then if I'm in prison, who is with me in prison? If I'm in prison, who's with me in prison? If I'm in prison, who's with me in prison? Right? 
And is God confined and defined by prisons? No. So the God that is in me, the God that is in Joseph when I read him here, is greater than the pit or the prison that I'm in. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, there can be ministry, there can be life, there can be hope, there can be freedom. Because if you're there and God is with you, then God is greater than what you're in. This is why you can walk into a situation or into a place that is dark, into a city, into a community, into a school, into a relationship, into a family that is a prison and is dark and is broken. And when you go in, because God is with you, he, the Holy, it says the Holy Spirit was before you. He goes in and he's working and he's doing ministry and lives are changed. Is it because of you? No, it's because of the God in you. See, the God in you is always going to be greater than the enemy against you. And the enemy does his best, right? Amen? The enemy tries his utmost best to destroy you, but the enemy's best effort will not be greater than the God that's inside of you. And so our desire is, God, I got to get more. I, want, I just want to draw near to you. In my prison, I don't go, God, get me out of the prison. I'm just going to stand here and hope that maybe he moves. I'm like crawling on my hands and knees, screaming at the top of my lungs, God, I need you. Because that's the only way I'm getting out. Because <laughs> the God in me is greater than the prison. I mean, I love that little like line. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That my enemies might have surrounded me, but man, God, you're so much bigger than this. Some of you need to hear me say this morning, God is bigger than your situation. The God that is in you is greater than the pit that you're in. And I think Joseph is so bold in this moment. And we see kind of a desperate heart because I, I do believe there's worth in the waiting, but I also believe it's great to get out of the pit. Amen. Like, you're not meant to stay there. I'm trying to give you strength and encouragement for that, but I also believe God wants you to be victorious and lift you out. I'm not saying stay in the pit forever. No, I'm saying like God, want, God wants victory in your life. And we see in Genesis 40, uh, 14 through 15, it's like, it's almost like a soap opera. He says, only, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have also done nothing that should put me in the pit. He doesn't drag up everything of his life. He doesn't, he's, not even, he's barely even trying to defend himself. He's not calling out against his brothers. He's not lashing out against his family. He's just stating it like it is and asking for help. And so we see the response of the cupbearer. The cupbearer in verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Has anyone ever felt forgotten? Has anyone ever prayed, God, remember me? God, remember me? You ever seen your prayers, um, your prayers get answered in someone else's life, and you're still standing there like, God, you still see me, right? I'm still here, right? You remember me, right? And I think Joseph is having this moment. He says, God, he, he's asking him, would you remember me because I feel forgotten? Remember me to Pharaoh. And what happens is that he does not remember him to Pharaoh because people are broken and flawed and selfish. But there's something that we learn in the life of Joseph that is true in your life too, is that God has not forgotten you. Hear me this morning. This is so important that you hear. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. God does not, does, is not, you know, just kind of to the side and you're over there doing your thing and he's like, oh my gosh, I totally just forgot you were in prison. Yeah, you know, come on out. Yeah, oh, my bad. God has not forgotten you. 
You might feel like Joseph. Maybe you dreamed a dream. And before you could ever even see that dream grow, someone came along and just stomped on it and just smashed it. And nothing is going according to plan. It's not going like you wanted it to go. It's not going like you planned on it going. But worst of all, you feel alone and you feel forgotten. I want you to hear me say this morning, we take hope in the word of God and we take hope in the life of Joseph and that God has not forgotten you. His love is for you. Joseph was desperate for someone to remember him. He was desperate to be remembered. But God always remembers. He always meets you. He always finishes what he started. God has not forgotten you. God is not unfaithful. He cannot deny himself and be unfaithful. He is always faithful and always good. And you might feel 10 years of prison, 13 years a slave, but God has not forgotten you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. This is what he's telling the Israelites. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's why I love this song. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. Not for a minute was I forsaken. God has not forgotten you. You might feel like no one knows your situation. God has not forgotten you. You might have felt like I had it all planned out, and it's not going like that. God has not forgotten you. You, you might feel like I've gone to prayer service after prayer service after miracle service after laying on a hand service, and I swear if another person lays hands on me, I'm going to lose my mind. But I still go home, and I feel alone. God, I just want, to, want you to hear me say, God has not forgotten you. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. Isaiah 40, 11, it says this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Hear this scripture because I, I believe I want to speak it into your heart this morning. It says he tends his flock like a shepherd, he being the Lord. He gathers the lambs, that's you and I, in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Some of you, you feel this morning, things not going according to plan. Things not going the way you want it. Maybe you're feeling distant from the Lord. You feel like, I don't even know what my next step is. But I believe this morning, I just had this picture that God wants to wrap you in his arms. And, and I know, you know, we struggle sometimes as a culture with good expressions of intimacy. So just roll with me on this. Can we do that this morning? That I believe that we struggle with this idea because we have not seen a lot of good examples of intimacy together. But I believe that the Lord wants to gather you in his arms. It says, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And they hear my voice and they know my voice. And so I believe that God is coming and he wants to wrap his arms around you and he wants to bring you in. And where you felt alone, or you felt like, I'm just not making it. It's not going to plan. Maybe you don't feel like you're measuring up, or you don't feel like things are going the way, or maybe someone's hurt you or whatever. In this moment, God, he just wants to wrap his arms around you and draw you near with a spiritual hug just on your soul. I I picture it like this. My daughter, when she's hurting, I I just, I come down and and I meet her where she's at. And I come down and I just wrap my arms around her and hold her tight. And that comfort, that nearness begins to restore her. Like God speak to me and he's just like, no, shh. (laughs) Just be comforted. Just draw near to me. You're not forgotten. 
You're not defined by your situation. You're not defined by the pit. You're not defined by what's been done to you. Your relationship, your family, your future, your promise is not defined by that. That's not the end of your story. That's not the end of of what I want to do in your life. You're not defined. But right now, I just want to, like, wrap you in a hug. I wish wish Lucy was here so I could just show you, like, how much the Lord wants that. Just to wrap you in his arms just to draw his presence around you. To say, hey, it's okay. You're not forgotten. I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. Just wrap you up around your soul, the deep part of your soul. This anguishes. It desires for more. Maybe maybe you're not in, in a pit, but you're just kind of in a nothing. You just feel like you've been out of the middle of nowhere. And it's kind of like nothing, nothing good, nothing bad. You just kind of like just feel lost and aimless. And God just wants to, he wants to wrap his arms around you and just draw you close. It says he draws his sheep. And it says those with young mean those who are the most vulnerable. If you feel like you're a little vulnerable this week, God wants to wrap you up in his arms this morning. He wants to hold you. Would you stand with me? Just stand in this place. This morning when we did pre-service prayer, I had um, everyone who was here come up and pray for the altar. And, uh, you know, I said, this tile is not more significant than that tile. It's all the same symmetry, the same shape, the same color, the same pattern. But I believe in something that happens here because of what God's doing in your heart. Because as you take a step and say, God, I'm tired of being out here. I'm tired of being on the edge. And, and, and I'm tired of just being in this pit. Or maybe you're like, God, things are not going according to plan. Things are not going how I want. What he's asking you to do is like, so what are you going to do? Will you draw near to me or will you sit back in your situation? You can be upset, but it's not sustainable. You can't live. You can be angry, but it's not good. It's not sustainable. You can be frustrated at your situation, and that's fine, but you can't live off that. Eventually, you're going to have to make a choice to say, God, there is no physical way for me to, to get this thing back on track. But God, I need you to wrap me in your arms and say, you are not forgotten, that I'm not forgotten. Say, I know things aren't going according to plan, but just let me draw you near in this moment and allow him to supernaturally minister to your heart. So that's what we pray in this morning, is that as people make a bold step and they come forward and maybe you're going to kneel down or maybe you're going to stand, maybe it's one person, maybe it's the Horeb. I, I don't care if you're here, I believe this is for you. And you're going to kneel down and I believe that God's going to meet you right here right here in this place, not because it's special, but because the Lord believes that you're special and he wants to draw near to you right here in this moment. And he's asking some of you this morning, would you, in fact, would you just close your eyes? I don't even want you distracted. He's asking some of you this morning, do you want me to draw near to you? Would you start by drawing near to me? He's asking you, do you want me to draw near to you? Do you want me to wrap your heart up? Do you want me to wrap you up? Do you want me to, do you want to experience that supernatural comfort? Maybe some of you, this is a hard concept because you have not received the, the, the love of a father before. And he's saying this morning for the first time, you're going to experience the love of a, of a good and perfect and all loving father. Let me wrap you up in my arms. Some of you are saying, I've just felt forgotten and I, I can't come down for another thing. But he's saying, you know what, would you just step out and allow me just to wrap you up in my arms and comfort you and bring life? Not for a minute have you been forsaken because the Lord is in this place this morning.
Every eye closed, every head bowed, allow him to minister. And I'm gonna invite you forward in just a second. And the worship bands, they're gonna sing that song. And I believe that the Lord's gonna meet you. And I'm inviting you, I know it's hard to step out. And I know you're saying, I don't know if I really need to. I, I believe the more you draw near, the more he will draw near. He wants to meet you this morning. Do not miss an opportunity to receive the all-powerful love of God wrapping you up because you need it this week. You and I both know that you need it. I need it. Just be wrapped up in the love of God. He's asking you right now, will you make that step? Will you step out, come before and receive what he wants to give you to be wrapped in his loving arms this morning, to be held near. He's asking right now. He's stirring your heart. I'm just giving it one more second, then I'm going to invite you. But just wait one more second. He's inviting. I'm going to pray. Lord God, you see these hearts right now that are in the valley of decision. And God, you want to wrap them up. So God, I pray that this morning you would encounter every person and wrap them in your love. God, you would draw them near like your sheep. That you would draw them close like your sheep, like your flock. And bring them close. In Jesus' name do this. On the count of three, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Maybe you've never experienced the love of Jesus, and uh, this is the first time you've ever given your life. I'm going to invite you to come forward. That'd be one. Number two is you feel like you've allowed everything else in life to be your identity, but this morning you're saying, God, I just, I want to draw near to you and have you be my identity. That, that my identity is greater than my situation. That my identity is greater than all of my issues. It's more than that. The identity of my relationship, the identity of my family, the identity of my future. It's more than just a collective of my issues. So number two, just saying, God, I want to draw near to you and move in my heart. And then the third thing this morning, you're saying, God, I, I feel forgotten, or maybe you're struggling with loneliness or isolation, or you're struggling, and, and whatever that might be, you're just saying, God, I want, I want to draw near to you. Would you draw near and meet me this morning? Three, would you just come forward? Make your way forward. You can kneel or stand, but if you're saying this morning, God, I need you to draw near to me. I'm just going to open it up and just come forward. You can kneel, stand, lift your arms.